Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 56, AI and Machine Learning for Kids with Dale Lane. My name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. And as I just said about seven seconds ago, we're joined today with Dale Lane, which is exciting for me on two fronts. One, because Dale has been doing an amazing job bringing AI and machining learning education to kids, but also because his name is Dale, which is the same name as my brother, who is also my best friend. So it's not a very common name. And so anytime I encounter a new Dale, it makes me pretty excited to have a conversation with them. So welcome, Dale, to the show. It is great to meet you. Thank you. Kelly, we have been talking about this, I think, for the last couple of years. You and I have both done the ISTE machine learning course or AI course. And I think most of the things that we've seen in education around machine learning and AI have come about in the last few years in this recognition that this will be a big part of the world that our students are entering into. And Dale, it's been a huge help to us to have the resources that you've created just even as a way to reference our own learning and understanding and how we can teach that best to students, but also because the resources are freely given and available to any teacher who wants to use them. So it's been a really a, a great gift to our community and, and we're really excited to talk through everything with you today. Thank you very much. Dale, before we get into introductions about yourself and who you are and where you come from, we just wanted to to start with the same thing we always start with, which is the win of the week. And it'll be a little bit interesting to see if people can guess your day job versus your hobby from the wins that you share with us. So we'll make you go first because that's the way that we do it when we have a guest on the show. It makes it a little bit more fun and interesting for people to hear your voice instead of Kelly's and mine. Dale, is there anything that's happened to you this week that you would qualify as a, a big win? Yeah, I'm sort of jumping ahead a bit to some uh, machine learning for kids stuff, but I'm, I'm going through a big thing at the moment of trying to move uh, a lot of what the site can do off of back-end servers and something that can run on students' own computers. And there's loads of benefits to that, but it's been a, a huge piece of work, but it's only finally really come together in the last week or so. And seeing now uh, the kinds of projects that students can do on their own computer without having to set up accounts on online servers and stuff is I'm, I'm really pleased with. So yeah, it's a very geeky, very deep and, and gawpy stuff, but that has been a huge part of the last week for me. Well, that's really exciting. I was reading about that following your blog and I can't believe how long you've been blogging, like 2011 or something. And I was reading your recent post about it. I'm looking forward to that of seeing when you're launching it for the individual students, it'll be really cool. It always strikes me that there's a lot of work that goes into making things simple. So moving something onto the student's local machine and making it simple and easy for them to access is a lot more complicated than I think people realize when they're just looking at the end product. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and something that will work on the kinds of computers, the range of computers that are used in code clubs and schools, because it's, I spend a lot of time in my day job working on code that's going to run either on fairly powerful laptops or high-end servers and actually you sort of see the the kinds of computers that code clubs are using even to down to the extent of like a raspberry pi or a pi top or something like that and it does yeah it's a whole new thing and a whole different thing of trying to get something that will run on that smaller footprint well we're excited to talk more about that during the the main part of the show but i'm, I'm glad to hear that it's coming together and it's always satisfying when you've been working on something for that long and it, it starts to come to fruition we'll dig into that more in a little bit kelly would you like to uh, share your win so yeah so my win of the week is pretty simple but i'm i'm very proud of it 
And in light of the sixth graders finishing up their turtle project and wanting them, they wanted me to live code in front of them. And I was telling them, what do you want me to make? And they're like, make a turkey. (laughs) I was like, a turkey. So I started live coding a little turtle project with them and I managed to code with functions all the different parts of the body with the head and the feet and the tail all separate so that I could teach them how to do functions that would combine together and then we can make hundreds of turkeys on the screen. And I I was a little bit nervous at first because I mean, I always have something prepared just in case I, I mess up. And it actually turned out and I'm a little bit addicted. Now I want to put some more little like that thing on the bottom of the turkey and play around with it. So that was a big, funny, silly win. I had to have silly one. So you saw it. It It (laughs) turned out really cute. And I I think we're right in the stage of our course right now, Dale, where we're getting into how to break bigger problems into smaller ones. And the turtle module has been fantastic for that because they can really see it for themselves. They can visualize it and they can see, okay, this is the part that I just wrote. This is the next part that I wrote. And sometimes that's a little hard to do with something that's console-based or even a, in a notebook because so much of the functionality happens without being visualized. So it's a pretty cool approach to teaching that. It was fun. It was silly. <laughs> and and they definitely appreciate that. For me this week, the the biggest win was teaching students about the date time modules in Python. We've gone through all the basic data types, but now we're talking about some things from the standard library that they haven't really played with before. And we went through and did a, a date time lesson talking about different dates and times and time deltas. And the cool thing about it was we had it all relate to the Back to the Future movie. So we were finding all the dates and times in the movie and calculating the deltas between them. And they really got into it. They got excited about it. And we figured out that if you were to go back in time to the same exact date in 1955 that Marty McFly did, from here, it would be something like 1990. (laughs) It would be about that same time delta. So it was really cool for them to be able to take the calculations that they would normally do on paper or trying to calculate it in their heads, turn that into Python and then have a sense that it's working and that they can verify that it's correct. They were pretty excited about it and they had a lot of fun calculating all their different date and time deltas, like how old am I exactly in days and minutes and seconds and everything. They had a lot of fun with that. It was a pretty cool lesson and and they really got into it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I saw that. And then I was trying to get into the dates and put that into the birthday app too. But, you know, maybe that should be my fail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was funny because my fail was closely tied to that, which is the lesson that I did leading into this was trying to build a class schedule. So building their their schedule of, of classes that they have every day. And it was way too much. It was way too much typing. They were confusing so many things together. And I just saw that all the kids were trying to keep up with the coding that we were doing and it just was the wrong lesson. So it was a pretty big fail. It was a waste of a a lesson, but we extracted some information out of it and it helped. We both uh, learned from our students this week because I'm trying to get away from having the code in front of me. I'm trying to do more of little things, trying some new functions in daytime, looking up 
some more documentation on Python Live without having it all pre-tested just to show the students how to search for things, which is very scary. And it just opens the door to all kinds of problems. And luckily I had a really smart kid or I have a lot of really smart children in my class. And they're like, Miss Miss Paredes, you have to do this and this. And don't aren't you print, trying to print out this variable? And I'm like, oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a my fail this week is just, I guess it's a fail and a win of just not being able to complete everything, but then having a student correct it. So what about you, Dale? Any fails? I, I can't think of any, which sounds terrible. Probably means there have been too many that none of them are sticking out. Yeah, and I, I think that's funny sometimes. I think failures often get erased by successes. So it might be one of those things where you had, you know, a bunch of failures in a row trying to figure out your project of moving everything more locally, but they've been erased by the success that you've had actually getting it to work. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Dale, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So you were named, I think it was what, two years ago? I'm oh, sorry, yeah, 2018 Volunteer Excellence Award from IBM for all of the work that you've done in the community, helping coding clubs, helping kids learn about machine learning, AI, how the world is changing and shifting around us. How did you get to that point? When did your volunteer work start? What's been the focus of your work? And uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came into that role. Okay. I'm a, a developer for IBM. I have been for, for many years now, 15, 16, something like that. And I think I started all of this stuff, the machine learning for kids stuff, around about like the 2016, 2017 sort of time. So I was working uh, on some of IBM's AI tech for IBM projects and for our customers. Mainly it started as a way of trying to explain to my kids what I do at work all day. So in like weekends and particularly in like school holidays, there was a few projects that we did where I made something with them where they got to use some of the AI tech that I was working on at work, but using it to make a game. Because I sort of thought that was the best way to explain it to them. Because I tried to explain, this is what I do and this is what I make, and they weren't really getting any of it. But when they started, I think the first thing we made actually was a Guess Who game. So we trained it to recognize characteristics on faces if some if a face has got glasses or a moustache or a hat or something like that and trained to recognize the meaning of the kinds of questions you get in a guess who game do they have a hat is it a man or a woman are they wearing glasses over a few days we made a guess who game where we trained the computer to be able to do it and that made sense to them suddenly they understood what i was on about when i talked about machine learning and ai and it sort of clicked and it made sense so yeah all of this stuff really started just things I was doing with my own kids that I blogged about and I put on YouTube and, and Twitter and, and whatever and people heard of it and it just sort of grew organically from there. What started from one of the other parents at a local school saying oh I've saw what you're doing with your kids do you mind coming in and, and showing my class and and then I started doing that at the local school to where I work and then another school down the road heard and said oh we've heard about the lessons you're running with them do you mind coming in doing it with us and to make it easier to, to do that kind of stuff, well, I thought, well, I'll put it on the web and then I can just turn up at school and it'll, they'll be able to access it. And next thing I knew, loads of schools are using it. And so, yeah, it, it all sort of happened accidentally. There was no big plan. But three years later, it's now sort of become this big thing that's being used everywhere. That's awesome. I think one of our former colleagues went to a Raspberry Pi conference. And uh, did you go to the Raspberry Pi conference or and share it or... 
maybe you shared it on a, on a website or something and they found it and they brought it to us two years ago, three years ago almost, yeah, when it first came out and was like, we're gonna teach machine learning in your two weeks of curriculum. And I was like, okay, wow, I'll give it a try. But how cool it would be to have a dad who's a developer who can just uh, make a game. Oh yeah, we're gonna make a machine learning game today for the weekend. <laughs> I don't know. Sean's very envious. <laughs> He's like, it is my goal. <laughs> so Dale, that so with that kind of start where it grew from an organic idea and grew from there, where is it today? So for the people who are listening that may not be familiar with the toolkit that you've created, can you describe a little bit about what's included, how it works, what kind of resources you put together for teachers and for students? Sure. So before all of this started, I was a volunteer for Code Club, which is, I think they're in, in other countries now, but certainly in the UK, it was this thing where it was a structured way of introducing kids to coding, mainly delivered as Scratch, although they've since broadened out to do other stuff. And I'd seen that work really well. Basically, you give someone a recipe, you give someone some instructions to follow for how to make something, but give them the freedom to go off the path and change it and tweak it. But, and they have that recipe as the starting point so everyone can, even if they just follow the instructions, they get to the end of the session and they've made something. And by, by doing that, they've sort of hopefully learned some bits and the more creative ones will take it in all sorts of directions. So I sort of shamelessly have copied that pattern just all the, through the lens in, in terms of AI and machine learning. So with all of it, it's this idea of the best way for kids to learn about what AI is and what it's for and what it can do and the implications of it in the world is by doing, by making. So it's uh, a tool, uh, it's, it's an online toolkit that kids can train machine learning models and loads of different types of machine learning models. So recognizing types of text or styles of text or the meaning of text recognizing pictures and that can be what's in a picture or the visual style uh, of a picture recognizing stuff like sound recordings recognizing sets of numbers all sorts of different things so i've tried to make it as open as possible for the kinds of projects you can do and then once you've trained the model i've sort of come up with integrations with a few different platforms mainly scratch is the one i use most often so that kids can use the model that they've created to make something and like I say, the starting point is I write these worksheets that are step-by-step -step instructions for how to make something. And particularly when I started, those worksheets were mainly based on things that I'd done at work. So I'd taken some real-world use of AI that I'd seen, either that I've worked on myself or that I know people who've worked on it, and just tried to make a really simplified version that kids can make for themselves in a lesson. And that's been the main goal. It's try to open kids' eyes to how AI is used all around us, to the way that it's used in the real world, by getting them to make a tiny version of it themselves. As a, a new coder, when someone tells you you're going to go in there and you're going to code some AI, it's very scary at first, but when you enter into your website, it's so, for lack of better words, comfortable. It's, it's, it's not something that's intimidating. In fact, I was showing our counselor who always tells me that she needs more tech training. But I said, hey, let me show you real quick. I'm going to train the, a computer how to identify the difference between a cup and a face. Granted, they were totally different, but I didn't want to do it quick. And I showed her and she's like, oh my God, that's really cool. You're teaching the computer. And I did it in, I don't know, like 15 minutes. It was something that's very easy and you can, it opens up these conversations for people that do not necessarily 
understand AI or machine learning that well. So thank you for that. And I noticed also that you have a lot of resources that are designed for teachers to get started. So there's lesson plans, there's guides, there's things to rehearse and practice. A lot of the prerequisite setup is very well documented. So if there's anything that you need to create or prepare for with the class, it's all detailed there. Where did that come from? Was that primarily upon request? Is that something that you anticipated people would need to know? It's something that you don't see in a lot of other tutorial style guides or resources for teachers, at least in our experience. Um, I guess it's sort of, it. So I'm not an educator by any means. I'm definitely a geek, I'm a code monkey. And the stuff that maybe is obvious to teachers is not at all obvious to me. So I guess I'm more inclined to write that stuff down because it's the stuff that I've had to figure out quite painfully. I mean, pre-lockdown, it's been a while since I've actually, I've been in a classroom, but before this year, all of the worksheets, there are a few local schools that have been really generous letting me use their kids as guinea pigs. So I would go and take like a first rough draft of a worksheet into a class and some bits of it would go horribly wrong. Some bits I wouldn't have even thought of would go horribly wrong. And it would be after I'd tried it out a few bits and those mistakes I tried to capture in in the sheets. Basically, well, when I did it, this went wrong. And sometimes that's technical and sometimes that's just about how I pitch it, the level I pitch it. I remember the first time I did a worksheet that was based on the phrase, judge a book by its cover. This idea that if you show a machine, if you train a machine learning model with loads of different covers of books, could a machine learning model learn to predict what kind of book it is just by seeing a picture of the cover? And it's the kind of thing that instinctively we as people do. You recognize a thriller book or a, an action book or a cookery book or a romance book just by the, the use of fonts or the color palette that's used or the types of pictures if there's if it's black if it's stars if there's a spaceship it's a sci-fi book but what the point of the project was well could we see if a machine learning model could start to recognize those patterns and I went into what we call a a primary school and I started talking about we were going to train a machine learning model to recognize genres of books and genre was not a word that I think any of them had ever heard of before like they had no concept of it because to them what I hadn't really thought of in a school library the books are basically divided into fiction and non-fiction at that age. This idea of dividing it up into genres, which made total sense to me, just they didn't understand what I was talking about. So it's things like that. I just, I get a chance to practice. I see what works and what doesn't. And because say, none of this is really obvious to me of how do you explain things to, to young children, I try to capture all of those, the, the pitfalls and the, the mistakes. I mean, the biggest mistake I've made is just the name of the the address of the site. The number of lessons I've done with six and seven year olds where they'll spend the first five minutes trying to type in machinelearningforkids.co.uk with spelling mistakes in on every attempt. Like if I knew what I was doing, I would have picked a much shorter web address. You just summed up like the past three years with Sean and I, I think, because he's been watching me hit all the pitfalls and coding. And granted, Sean doesn't make hardly any mistakes anymore, but he's a new teacher. So I would sit there in the back corner, like putting my head sometimes in a face palm because he said some like word that I had to go Google anyways. And it was very cute. So yes, machine learning for kids we always bookmark that. I always yeah. put it as a link. <laughs> Future reference, just go in there with a Google Doc that says open. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so since you've launched this, I assume it's been pretty broadly distributed. Has there been anything that's surprising to you 
or new and unique takes on how to use your resources in the classroom that maybe were surprising or delightful or something that was uh, unexpected and fun that came out of it? Yeah, I definitely, I, I mean, it's lovely when I hear of and, and see schools using the worksheets that I've written, but I definitely prefer it when I see schools and uh, clubs making their own ideas up and just using the platform as a generic tool. I've seen some really lovely ones. There was, I think it was in Canada, I think. There was a, a school end of last year where they had one uh, student in the class with Down syndrome and who had some difficulty speaking. And they found that, although they all understood him because they got to know them in, in their class, they found that supply teachers or new people to the class often struggled to understand. So they, they tried making uh, a, a speech recognition thing that would recognize the things he said most often and basically to act as an interpreter for and they'd made this for their classmate for a real problem that they saw him having and I thought that was lovely I mean that's that idea of not seeing it as doing AI for AI's sake but just seeing it as another tool in the toolkit and using it to solve a real world problem I mean that's fantastic so when I see projects like that it's really lovely. That is really nice it's nice when you can teach kids or give them something in code and have them turn it into something social good and use their powers to, to make a positive digital footprint for years to come. That's amazing. That's the real breakthrough in what you've done here is that it makes it something that's an accessible tool for students at a variety of ages. And one of the things that we have struggled with early on is that the complexity of setting up the tools or creating the code that we want to, to work with often gets in the way of that problem solving and the creativity. When we're able to leverage the tools and the resources that you've created, it gives us the ability to get the student really in touch with the problem that they're trying to solve and different approaches or different ways that they could choose to solve it. That's where we have started to see some of the benefits of it and we're continuing to focus is on this idea of, okay, here's this tool that's relatively simple to understand and, and utilize with the way it's been put together. Now, how could we use this tool to solve some problems that we see in the world around us? And students get really excited about it because now it's within reach for them. It's within their grasp instead of having to go become an expert coder to be able to get started on their problem. Yeah. Yeah. And what I really like is when you open up your Python projects, just coming from, I I teach sixth grade and seventh grade, and so we just do the basics of Python. If you open up a project, I can say to them, listen, pretty much the only thing that might be new to them is the request. Go get this website, but that's even something that they can understand. So it is something that is tangible down to, like you said, well, in Python as basic learners of so it's pretty cool. If I can understand, it's a test of yay. <laughs> <laughs> so Dale, what's next? I mean, we've talked a little bit about your current efforts to make this more local, to run it more on the, the device that the student is using. What do you see coming next for this project and, and the work that you're doing? There's always more ideas than I have time to do. So there's a few things that I've been working on this year. So a big one is around trying to explain what's actually happening under the covers. So there's, I mean, it's a big thing in machine learning in general. We describe it as black box problem, this idea that 
we get answers, we get results, we get output from these machine learning systems, but we don't really know how they arrived at that. And, and that's the constant question I've had from teachers is, well, here's a tool that you give it the training examples and then you use that to train a model and then you use the model to do things. And you can infer a certain amount about how the tech behaves just from seeing the answers it gives. But what people have really wanted, particularly with the older students, is to know actually what's happening under the covers. So it's a really hard thing to explain. And I've sort of been making baby steps towards that this year, uh, but there's definitely more I want to do on that, of trying to explain without, while still keeping it accessible, what is a neural network? What is deep learning? What's happening with the training examples that you're giving? Yeah, it's definitely been, it's way harder than the stuff because it comes back to I'm a coder, I'm not a, a teacher. In terms of just writing code to train a machine learning model and use a machine learning model, I, that's easy, I can do that. But explaining it so that it's clear, that's really hard. And I've spent months and months going through iteration after iteration of, of visualizations and, and explanations and wizards. And then I would sort of like look at it and go, no, that makes no sense at all. So there's more I want to do on that, particularly around image models, which I haven't really started yet, of how do you explain what's happening when you're training a computer to recognize what's in a picture. Yeah, so that's the next huge big feature that, that I think will be coming. But there's a million and one like minor sort of iterations and improvements that I need to do as well. It, it brings to mind this book that I read because I was trying to be able to explain the cloud and it's some one of those abstract things, just like neural networks. It all happens, and I always defer to this magic happens in the background. But there was this book called Explain the Cloud to Me Like a Ten-Year-Old. So if you haven't read that book, maybe that will help you give some inspiration on how to explain like the neural networks, because it actually helps us solidify a little bit. And it was very easy to read. So I'm looking forward to that because I still think that magic happens whenever it passes through all those checkpoints in the neural network. And I, I walked through your tutorial, your video, which was, it was really good. So, and I, I like where you're going with that. Thank you. Is there any, any particular sites out there other than what you've been working on that you've been using as inspiration? Like we've also looked at the Google um, AI labs quite a bit in terms of some of the examples and, and demonstrations that they give. Are there any other sources that you've seen that are useful in trying to explain some of this? I really like the stuff that Apps for Good do. They're an organization who do who produce computing teaching resources for schools in the UK. And it's a not-for-profit, but I think a lot of their staff are ex-teachers. So they're coming at this from a, a deep set of expertise of teaching. And I became aware of them because they've used some of my resources, but they supplement it with a lot. All of my stuff is just coding sessions, an exercise to build something out of a computer, but they put it in such a better context. They'll, they include presentations and unplugged activities and pen and paper activities and discussions and all sorts of stuff that, that does help make it make more sense and not just be purely about the sitting at a computer and making something because I think that's an important part and I definitely think you learn a lot by doing by making something but that that's quite limiting and I think I, I really like the way that they've put it in a broader context and build up to the actual practical 
coding session. So if a teacher wants to get started, I mean, there's plenty of resources there, but do you have any places where they should maybe look first? And maybe we can take it by age level. So if you're working with very young kids, what's a good lesson to get started with that you would recommend to a, a teacher that's new to this? So one that I've added fairly recently, but I haven't had a chance to test on a class yet, but I think would be a good fit with really young kids is it's you train a, a model to looking at a glass to say if it's half full or half empty because it's a really just sort of intuitively you can sort of predict how the model is going to pan out if it's less than 50 significantly less than 50 it's going to say half empty if it's more than 50 it's going to say half full so it trains really quickly with a tiny number of examples and conceptually it makes sense of what it's trying to do and it's nice and visual so it, that one I think I only wrote it a month or so ago, so I, I haven't really had a chance to test it on anyone, but my gut says I feel like that should be a nice, simple intro. If you want to ever test on some American kids, you're more than welcome to test. My kids love being guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, sorry, I, I'm going to ask a personal knowledge thing. So on the What Does Twitter Think, the Scratch project, are you considering putting that into a Python project? I've just learned about it on Python tips on how to do that in Python on the sentiments in Twitter. So are you going to make that into a project? That would be I should do. I've got a, I'm, I've been, Not in theory, the site is Scratch and App Inventor and Python, but almost all the worksheets are Scratch because that's what I tend to use. And I was lucky, actually, the App Inventor integration entirely, I didn't write. It was contributed by some people in the US which was very generous of them. It was it's, one of the best things I did with the site was open source it and invite contributions from anyone. Originally, I open sourced it within IBM, so it was accessible to other IBM employees. And I got a few contributions from people around the company, which was fantastic. Then I just put it totally open source. And yeah, that App Invent stuff, I've done virtually nothing on. That's been entirely contributed by others, which was lovely. But yeah, so it does mean that I've, I tend to be a bit fixated on Scratch stuff because that's what I'm used to, but I should do more in, in Python and App Inventor and, and write more worksheets for it. Well, maybe some of our followers like to do open source things and maybe they'll get in their hands and they have, a lot of our followers also have, or a lot of the people that we know who are Python developers have a lot of kids, hence some people down in Australia who have lots of things <laughs> to do. I'm sure they would like to get in and do some of these projects with their kids it'll be it's a lot of fun i like having it because kids like searching online for a picture and they like doing the activities i've done the make me happy i've done the, the smart classroom i tried to do the titanic one but i don't know what happened i got lost i think it was before i knew anything about python and then i did the the quick train with the cup and face and that was really simple so. I find that chatbots is a good one to use, particularly when it's not a coding group, because I think it's a, there's a bit of a different vibe. When I'm going to do like an after-school club where they've opted in to doing coding after school, so they're already fairly motivated. Whereas when you're doing just a normal school lesson and it's the whole class and they haven't had a choice, those ones are interesting. And in some ways, they're the, the better lessons because different students will get different things out of it. And I find chatbots really good for that. So what in that activity, it's basically, you take some topic that the class is already doing, 
and then get them to train a computer to answer questions on that topic to make something that can do a simple Q&A. And it depends, I'll basically ask the teacher, well, what's the most recent topic you've done? So maybe it's something like Vikings or Romans, or I, I remember we did, an, there was an English uh, class I was working in and we did a William Shakespeare one. So we trained a chatbot to answer questions about the life, the biography of William Shakespeare and the plays he's written. I've, we've done ones on different types of animals before. But the nice thing is, when students do that, some of them are getting into the AI and the machine learning and they're interested to see how does the computer learn how to recognize the intent, the meaning of a question. But some of them are more interested in the actual topic itself. Some, because we always make like an animated avatar that sort of speaks the answers back. So the more artistic ones will get really into designing that avatar and animating it and making it blink and its mouth move and stuff. So the nice thing is that with projects like that, they all get something out of it, even if it's not all about the coding for them. And I do like that idea of making a lesson that the AI, the machine learning bit is incidental. It's the focus of when we do the chatbot is the research topic, whatever it is they've had to go and do research about and come up with questions and answers for. And the fact that actually we're making a chatbot is almost like we try not to call that out too much in a way. So it's, you get to the end and go, and oh, by the way, you've also learned a load of machine learning and coding stuff because you've made this interactive chatbot. So I like doing lessons like that where it isn't beating them over the head too much with now we're going to do AI. And because I do think that's important. I think it can't just be about the ones who really like coding to learn about a new way of doing coding. I, it's such a, an important thing for society to, to try and grow our literacy in this stuff. And, and projects like that I like because they're a way of trying to engage with the ones who maybe traditionally aren't as interested in AI or would be turned off by the idea of, I'm gonna learn about AI now. Yeah, I can imagine sitting in high school and having to learn the theory of AI and machine learning without doing it the hard way, where you can have this easy tool where you can get in to do the fun, get them hooked, to learning about AI and machine learning and do it the easy way. Speak in next week is hour of code or not is uh, CS week, December 3rd. And a lot of people are doing an hour of code. And this is one of these things where kids can get in and we can host an hour of code and do scratch or do Python. So definitely we'll be excited about launching this Python uh, podcast during next week. I was going to add to that. I was listening to a new podcast yesterday while I was out for a walk and it was all about electronics and learning or teaching electronics as part of a curriculum. And the really fascinating thing for me was they had a, an educational design expert on the show and he talked about how when you're learning something or as you're developing knowledge, it's two tracks, two train tracks that are running um, together side by side. And one is the track of all the things that you need to think about as you're doing it. And the other track is all the things that you need to do. So when you're working with this, and I, I think this is where the, the machine learning really flourishes, is if you can give them something that they want to do that's really strong and compelling that is interesting for them, it helps their learning move along. It also helps them spur the thinking that they need to do to be able to make it happen. So that idea of, you know, the, the AI and the machine learning maybe is the less prominent part of the learning and it's spurring all of this other work or the, all this other learning and thinking that they're doing is a really powerful way of integrating that knowledge across a lot of different areas and really engaging students' interests in their own learning. 
That is important because in the same way that now maybe we don't think about learning to use a word processor or a presentation like a PowerPoint or a keynote or whatever as being a lesson in its own right. Those are just tools that we need to do any job, not just very technical computing jobs. AI is going that way as well. Give it another five years, maybe not even that long. AI will just become another tool that we all use in every discipline and in every field, not just computing. It will be another way that we interact with data in the same way that if you know the basics of Excel, you can chop, slice and dice data and, and that's really useful. There's going to be, I think, an expectation that AI and machine learning will become just another basic tool that we just use everywhere for everything. So it's trying to prepare kids for that kind of future, I think is really important. That kind of idea that it is coming around is funny because in my newsfeed, I get a, a weekly newsfeed on some top books. And this is not a, a brand new book. It's actually a year old. But it, it was really funny that I got it yesterday. And it says, it's a book called You Look Like a Thing, I Love You, How Artificial Intelligence Works and Why It's Making the World a Weirder Place. And it was this this kind of, you need to learn about this. You need to think about this stuff that's all happening around you. And we've got to, we've got to embrace it and be on the, the positive end of it and make sure that we're understanding how AI and machine learning can make the world better. So that was cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that book. Yeah, so I think this is a good place to, to wrap up because we're looking ahead to what's next. Dale, if people want to learn more about what you're working on or follow along with your progress as you're continuing to develop the toolkit, what's the best place or best way for them to do that? The ridiculously long web address I mentioned before, so machinelearningforkids.co.uk. You don't need to create an account to try it. There are instructions there. Have a play. And my contact details are on there as well, so I'm always up for helping if anyone has get stuck or has any questions or if I can help at all. Well, we will definitely put it in the show notes so nobody has to type it out. <laughs> and that way we'll, we'll make it just a click away. For us, if you'd like to continue the conversation with Kelly and I, we're uh, both on Twitter. So our show handle is at teaching Python. I am at SM Tiber on Twitter, and I have not researched a funny social network that I created 10 years ago and still have a listing on there. I have been trying to find my MySpace page, but I think it has finally gone away. <laughs> Kelly is at Kelly Pared on Twitter. Our show website is teachingpython.fm. You can fill out the contact form and send us a note there. We got a lovely note from someone earlier this week that just said, you make my world brighter. And it just made my day brighter <laughs> to get that. So any conversations with us are always welcome. We look forward to our next conversation with you, Dale. I, I'd like to check in with you in another six months or a year to see how things are going. But thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you about the tools that you've created and that we have used um, with great success in our classroom. It has made our teaching more effective and our students more engaged. So thank you for all the hard work that you've put into it. Oh, thanks very much. It's, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me and, and, and it's been lovely to meet you. Absolutely. And if you have, need any guinea pigs, like I said, we have a, our school is PK-12, so you can go as low or as high as you want to go. And we are always up to be the guinea pigs. We are um, huge supporters of, what is it, when we buy things that are <laughs> brand new and could be broken <laughs> when we get we it. We are early adopters. <laughs> early adopters, whatever you want. We, are, we love to be guinea pigs. But Perfect. thanks so Sounds much. <laughs> thanks so much for talking with us. Yep. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly, signing off. Mm -hmm.